Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Good morning. Today is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. We're going to rejoice. We're going to be glad in it. We are talking today uh, with Max Lucado about his newest book. It's actually on the topic of happiness, how happiness happens, finding lasting joy in a world of disappointment, comparison, and unmet expectations. We're going to lead off the hour today with Nick Pitts. He and I are going to survey some of the headline news of the day. All right, and I am going to lead off here with a story that um, is so good, I, I simply cannot resist talking about it. And so um, I, I went to the University of Florida, so it's actually hard for me to highlight a positive story about um, a rival like the University of Tennessee. However, uh, the University of Tennessee has responded to the bullying of a fourth grader in Florida in a way that is absolutely right, righteous, and worth celebrating and advocating and duplicating everywhere we can. So last week, this uh, this this fourth grader in Florida, who is a huge fan of the University of Tennessee, um, he um, uh, he made his own little UT shirt. Now he didn't have money to buy a UT shirt, so um, he made his own, uh, and he um, he was bullied pretty fiercely for it, and not just because you know he lives in Florida and it's a University of Tennessee shirt. But because, you know, frankly, he kind of scribbled on a piece of paper and attached that piece of paper to the front of his shirt. And certainly a very positive um, volunteer spirit of this uh, of this young man. But you you and I, we know the world well enough to know, not surprisingly, I mean, sadly, but not surprisingly, he, he was bullied pretty aggressively. So uh, his mom um, actually posted uh a post about this incident on Facebook. It went viral. The University of Tennessee uh, responded in absolutely the right, the most right and righteous way I could ever imagine. First of all, they um, they reached out to him and sent him, I mean, this like official logoed wear packet of things. I mean, the kid will probably never have to wear anything other than uh, UT logoed apparel if that's what he chooses to do. You know, backpack, hat, folders, shirts, all kinds of fan gear. But they followed that up in a really dramatic way. And this is a fourth grade kid um, who obviously loves the University of Tennessee. And they extended an offer to him of honorary admission to join the class of 2032. I want you to just think about that for a moment. When we talk about a future and a hope, and we talk about being people who believe God has hope and a future for each and every one of us, do we set that kind of promise in front of our kids today? Do we set that kind of good news promise in front of our kids today? That that is a good news promise. If this kid is able to, you know, is able to qualify academically uh, to enter the University of Tennessee when the time comes, he has um, an invitation to do so. Um, and not only that, uh, he his shirt, his his design is now an official uh, logo 
fan logo of of the University of Tennessee. And yesterday, not that you probably watched the University of Tennessee football game because it was not much of a game, so to speak, but the members of the UT marching band were all wearing this official, uh, officially licensed T-shirt that has now become, I think, maybe the premier image of anti-bullying in the country. It's not enough. It is not enough for us to say bullying is wrong. It's not enough for us to, you know, to recognize it when we see it. We have to become anti-bullies. We've had this conversation about racism. It's not enough to be passively not a racist. You and I have to be actively anti-racist. In the same way, it's not enough to be passively, you know, against bullying. You and I have to actively put put forth the force of our life um, in these ways to you know, to call it out when we see it, yes, but then to do something right and righteous in response. So that's my little uh, lead-off story of the day. If you haven't seen it yet, it's literally, like, all over the news. Um, and if you missed my conversation with Paul Coughlin and his book, Free Us from Bullying, I feel like that was probably, you know, gosh, back in January. Um, you can grab that at MyFaithRadio.com if you type in the word bullying, or you could go to their website, which is theprotectors.org, theprotectors.org, if you want to uh, be actively anti-bullying today. All right, next up, Nick Pitts from the Institute for Global Engagement. He and I are going to talk about the headline news of the day. We'll be right back. Joining me again today, Nick Pitts, my friend and colleague and co-conspirator in advancing the good of the gospel in this generation. His name is Nick Pitts. You can find what he's doing at thebriefing.net. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning to you, Carmen. So your first friend uh, to to get a driver's license got married over the weekend. My goodness, who would have thought? Yeah, I had a, I had a great friend. He was the one that was, uh, uh, he drove a green Taurus. And I remember we were sophomores in high school, and he took us to all the vital places that high schoolers go to in Tennessee, which is the fishing hole and the Mexican restaurant in town. And so he was a good gift from God to me. And so the joy of being back in the home state for a little bit and back now in Texas, though. I just love that, right? So um, obviously I'm stalking you on Twitter. You guys can follow him at J. Nick Pitts. Um, Nick, uh, this story out of uh, out of South Bend, uh, South Bend, Louisiana. How about South Bend, Indiana? Um, this story is like disturbing at so many levels. For folks who haven't heard yet, more than 2,200 aborted babies, their uh, their fetal remains have been found in the home of a now deceased doctor. Um Wow. Bring us up to speed on what's going on here. Yeah, it is, it's absolutely tragic. News broke over the weekend that there was, a, like you said, that individuals have found on his property um, just over 2,200 fetal remains. And so what we have are babies that were left preserved in some form or fashion. Now, granted, we don't know if he was performing the abortions at his household because of stringent state laws that were starting to be enacted in the state or if he simply was just removing these from the medical, uh, his, his, his clinic that he had. We're not quite sure what's happening, but what we do know is it illuminates a growing trend as we continue to see abortion rates go down here in the U.S. because of significant uh, stringent requirements that are being placed at the state level. 
what this does seem to indicate is that we're going to begin to see an emergence of what has all of what we already know is known as back alley abortions. Looking at some research on that, there were some estimates that indicate anywhere from 200,000 to 1.2 million illegal abortions per year in the 1950s and 60s before the Roe era. Now, what we know to be true today is that that number has gone down. Uh, we know probably around, I think there's around 900,000 abortions that are performed every day here in the U.S. And so we have to think through, if we continue to try to outlaw this, what we know to be true about the broken human nature is where there's a will, there's a way. We can put, put the laws in the books and enforce those laws with the force of justice, but we need to think about ways in which we, we can't just outlaw abortion, but make abortion unthinkable to individuals. So, Nick, um, if people were just listening like super closely to that, they're now um, they might have driven off the road. Um, Nine hundred thousand abortions in a year, not a day. Um, right. <clears throat> Am yeah, I right? Yeah. Nine hundred thousand yeah. in, in a year. OK, so um, I what your piece on the briefing dot net today uh, in, in relationship to this provoked me to ask the question and therefore I Googled it. Um, like, do they ha- do abortions have to be reported? And um, and the answer is no. Like, that's no. stunning to me. Report, uh, reporting to the CDC, uh, reporting an induced abortion to the CDC is actually not mandatory. And there's like entire states like California, where we have to assume a lot of abortions are performed, where mm-hmm. they're not reporting their numbers to the CDC. So this this, you know, this number that we look at from 1970 to, to, to 2015, that's sort of the last aggregated numbers. Um, the CDC reports nearly 45.7 million legal induced abortions in the country. But I hear what you're saying. There are a lot of abortions that we do not know about, chemically induced abortions that are performed at home um, by, you know, by women um, in secrecy, in maybe the word is privacy, um, but also, in my view, with no support. Like, there, there are so many layers to this in terms of my concern for the individuals involved. I mean, obviously, I have a I have a really, you know, heart level concern for these babies. But, you know, they're not the only victims in this. The women are victims as well. Those yeah. families who made assumptions about the way that those fetal remains were going to be handled. I assure you, I mean, I feel fairly confident there's not twenty two hundred and forty six families who thought that their children were being preserved, medically preserved at this doctor's home. Yeah, it is. One of the shocking things is one of the. What we're continuing to see with the advent of medicine and technological innovation that's happening, I'm sure many of your listeners are probably going to work or when they go to work, they're going to have a medical health insurance plan that's going to allow them some form of uh, telehealth that's becoming increasingly prevalent in many healthcare plans where you're not necessarily talking to a nurse practitioner or a doctor uh, uh, face-to-face in person, but you're able to talk to them through Skype, you're able to talk to them over the phone, and because of that, they're able to write uh, prescriptions for you, et cetera. Well, the very same thing is being utilized now when we think about the future of back alley abortions, that there are individuals that are outside state bounds that are in Canada, or maybe they're inside your state, depending upon the state laws that we have that have been put into place in the various uh, uh, territories of the U.S., well, what we're finding is that abortion providers are able to ship these type of uh, do-it-yourself at home abortions uh, to these women that, like you like you've mentioned before, 
are lonely, have no support system, and are just trying, that can't even imagine a future with a child because the present weight is so heavy upon them. It's it's so tragic. All right. Nick and I are going to take uh, just a brief pause. When we come back, we're going to talk about these attacks on Saudi Arabia oil refineries over the weekend. Um, uh, the president of the United States has said, hey, we are locked and loaded and Iran is uh, is in the crosshairs. We're going to talk about uh, this U- U.S. military response being openly considered now uh, in the Middle East. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Indeed, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Returning to my conversation with Nick Pitts. You can find what we're talking about today at thebriefing.net. Nick, uh, over the weekend, there were attacks on Saudi Arabia oil refineries. um, And the U.S., the United States president has now said one way or another, it is the work of Iran and the U.S. military is prepared to respond. What's going on here? Yeah, so when we think about what's happening in Saudi Arabia, it's important for us to kind of veer a little bit off the map to over to Yemen. And that's where we're finding a lot of these players that are in play. So you've got Saudi Arabia is one person on the character list. Then you've got Iran. Then you've also got the U.S. that is making their way. But it's all centered in Yemen, I would say. All the players are at work. It's a shadow war that we're waging with Iran in Yemen, according to foreign policy. And what we find is that there's a there's an ongoing civil war of a type between the governmental forces in Yemen as well as the rebels. And the rebels are being backed by Iran and Iran is channeling weapons, there's significant resources into that area in order that they could wage battle against Saudi Arabia as well as the US who's backing the governmental forces. Well, what we've known to be true with Iran as of late is we're placing significant stringent economic policy uh, policies on them and tightening the ropes and sanctions on them to try to get them to, to stop some of their nuclear development efforts. But what we're finding is that they're working, which is a good thing, uh, that their economy is continuing to to drop precipitously, that their economy is shrinking significantly. But what we're finding is that uh, desperation breeds risk and Iranian officials are beginning to risk. And so over the past month, we saw how they're seizing cargo ships. We saw how they're causing some turmoil over the seas. And now the latest is that they're attacking this oil oil, uh, plant in Saudi Arabia. All right. So for those of you who um, have been doing other things uh, over the weekend for which I applaud you, let me just brief you in on this story. So um, Saudi Arabia has actually lots of state-owned oil refineries and places where they um, uh, they store oil. And so that's what we're talking about here. Uh, and a couple of those um, facilities were drone targeted over the weekend. Uh, the, the, the Houthi rebels in Yemen took responsibility. However, the Houthi rebels in Yemen, you know, what the, the power behind them is Iran. And so these coordinated strikes on key Saudi Arabian oil facilities knocked out about half of the oil of the country's oil capacity, which is about 5.7 million barrels a day. Now, before you panic, that's about 5% of the world's daily global oil supply. Um, so all oil prices did shoot up in response, but uh, in response also the president of the United States has um, opened the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserves. And so, you know, in terms of the impact at uh, at the gas pump for you and me, 
still, you know, still unknown what the impact will be, but something certainly to pay attention to. Hey, let's pivot to uh, a conversation about Justice Brett Kavanaugh. U.S. Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, certainly um, maybe the most brutally scrutinized Supreme Court justice on the bench um, in terms of allegations related to uh, his past. Why is this story, um, you know, fresh again today? Yeah. So the New York Times over the weekend published an essay from an upcoming book uh, entitled The Education of Brett Kavanaugh, an investigation featured new information that two reporters had corroborated a prior claim of sexual misconduct against Justice Kavanaugh and uncovered evidence supporting a previously unreported claim. Now, what we're finding, though, is that these are just individuals. These are individuals that are starting to chime up and say that we had also heard particular stories about some Kavanaugh, uh, about Justice Kavanaugh and some of the uh, scandalous allegations that have been put against him and some of his actions that he's done. But what's not being reported by The Times or rather was just issued as a correction by The Times this morning is that the woman herself that is the center of this, the, the actual victim against which the allegations, uh, Kavanaugh's allegations are being leveled at, she has said that this isn't true, this isn't the case. So instead of innocent until proven guilty, we're now finding ourselves yet again living in a world in where you're guilty due to the presence of allegations. And as a result, the presidential Democratic presidential candidates like Julian Castro, or uh, Congressman Beto O'Rourke, Senators Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, have come out and called for Kavanaugh's impeachment. However, this isn't the only news <laughs> regarding Justice Kavanaugh. So Christina Blasey Ford's lawyer, Deborah Katz, said recently, earlier this month, that she was putting an asterisk next to just Justice Kavanaugh's name was what motivated Christine, according to the report. Now, for your listeners, it's important for us to know that in this Me Too movement, women have been empowered to share how they've been wrong in the past. And research indicates that there are many women that are silently watching us to see how we deal with these accusations that are being leveled, because they're worthy of consideration at the very least. One in six women have been sexually abused. For the sake of the women's, women still silently hurting, accusations deserve a hearing, but they don't uh, automatically merit impeachment. They deserve to be heard, but Justice Kavanaugh deserves more than a claim, I would argue. Yeah, that's absolutely right. All right, for um, for equipping on this, because churches really do need to be equipped today in this area, um, how to receive um, women who have been sexually abused and assaulted, how to minister to them. Let me direct everybody to the churchcares.com, churchcares.com. We had Brett, um, Brad uh, Hambrick here on the program earlier. We are looking forward uh, with great anticipation to the Ethics and Religious Liberty uh, Conference the first week of October in Dallas, Texas, where we intend to report on, you know, the resources that are really being actively developed, the stories of of women related to this. Rachel Den, Den Hollander has had some um, excellent pieces posted lately. Uh, if you want resources in this area, they are available and we want you to, you know, we want want you to gather them. This is a real issue in our culture. It's a real issue in the church. Um, and we don't want women who've been victimized to go unserved. We also mm-hmm. don't want men who have not uh, participated in in these kinds of, um, uh, I mean, just, just totally uh, 
I don't even have quite have a word for it. It's it's so hostile to the human spirit. Um, mm-hmm. But but men who have not engaged in these um, in these acts of violence and 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 power should also not be wrongly accused. And so there's a yeah. there's a balanced conversation that needs to take place here. We absolutely um, must be serving women who have been victimized. Actually, anyone who's been victimized. Yeah. Um, and we also then must be you know honest about uh, who the perpetrators really are. Nick, um, you and I are going to have to leave it right there. If folks want this good news story about Kanye West and his Sunday service, they're going to have to check it out at thebriefing.net. Thank you, my friend. It's so good to be with you. Great to have you. All right, we'll be right back. All right, so uh, I know that I told you Max Lucado was up next. Max Lucado is up an hour from now. Um, so up next is Dr. David Aikman from Godspeed Magazine. We talk to Dr. Aikman each and every week about what is going on in the world. Um, so he and I are going to, uh, we're going to talk about what's going on in the Middle East. We're also going to preview the Israeli elections, which will be held tomorrow, and the confirmation of the death of Osama bin Laden's son. So all of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Teddy Roosevelt once said, do what you can with what you have where you are. Hi, I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. I really love this quote. It simply says you can have the life you want right now. You don't have to wait for the perfect job, the bigger house, or more money. You know, I think that's what contentment is all about. Living your life fully and having enough, no matter what the circumstance. So, how do you make that happen? Well, for starters, create a plan for your spending, saving, and giving. Ask yourself, What is my enough? How much do I need to save for retirement and emergencies? And what do I want to give? Not just money, but time and talents as well. The most important thing is that your plan is aligned with your values and God's plan for you. As Teddy Roosevelt said, do what you can with what you have where you are. Then you can live a more content, confident, and generous life. My name is Bond, James Bond. Dr. David Aikman is back with us this morning, an hour earlier than normal. Thank you, sir, for skipping lunch in order to uh, join us today. Well, fortunately, I've only delayed it, not skipped it completely, so here I am. <laughs> I've, called, I've told Paul Perot this is the morning scramble. Okay, well, things happen, things go wrong sometimes. So They no do. They do. All right. So David Aikman has a wonderful journalistic history. He is not only um, a person who reported on history, but because he lived so many of these significant events, uh, he is he has a perspective on the things that are happening around around the globe today that is quite extraordinary and unique. You can find him at Godspeed Magazine, where he is the editor. Um, Dr. Aikman, let's let's lead off with what's going on in the Middle East right now. We have talked at length in the past about the relationship between Saudi Arabia and Iran. We have talked about um, the uh, the proxy war going on in Yemen. All of that is a part of this conversation. Um, what's your what's your sense of things as the U.S. president is now saying to uh, Iran, hey, the U.S. military is locked and loaded. Yeah, well, it's it's quite serious because um, if it were ascertained or confirmed by the United States that the missiles that hit the Saudi refineries in fact came from Iran, and if the Americans could prove that, 
they would be forced to retaliate directly against Iran. And that could produce unintended consequences of all kinds. So one has to be very careful watching how this develops and seeing how the Americans decide where those missiles came from. And, you know, even if even if these drones were uh, Iranian and launched from Yemen, I mean, if the if the Iranians are ultimately behind it, is a military response is a military response necessary? And maybe we combine in this conversation. The United States is now without a um, uh, and we have we're going to have an acting uh, national security advisor. But John Bolton resigned last week. Right, he did. But he didn't resign over anything about the Middle East. He resigned, I think, largely because of disagreements over uh, President Trump's plan to invite the Taliban to Camp David, which uh, Bolton thought was a terrible idea coming so close to the anniversary of 9-11. And I think in that respect, he was probably correct. But obviously, the two men disagreed on a lot of issues. Trump is the president. He obviously has the last call. And so he's now going to get a different national security advisor. And in fact, the one name that's uh, on the high on the list as the next one was the former chief of staff of, um, of Bolton, who is a wonderful guy. And we have interviewed at Godspeed. It's a very impressive man. So I think if he's selected... Um, it will be a very good thing. Um, who is that? It's Fred Lights, I think his name is. L-E-I-T-Z, something like that. Interesting. Okay. Well, we look forward to having that conversation with you. If that ends up being our uh, next national security advisor here in the United States, going to certainly uh, right. be interested in the conversations you guys have had with him at Godspeed Magazine. That's really cool. Um, okay. Uh, President Trump has also confirmed the death of the son, the favorite son, of Osama bin Laden. Um, Who is this and why does it matter? Well, Hamza bin Laden, the son, was rising up the ranks of al-Qaeda, you know, after his father was killed. There was sort of various people. Uh, We had uh, Haiman Sawahiri, the Egyptian. Uh, He was in charge for a while. And this new guy apparently was uh, pulling the organization together rather effectively. And therefore, he he posed a risk to the United States and different parts of the world by being able to mobilize the al-Qaeda forces very effectively at probably short notice. So to get him out of the way was uh, a key objective of the American uh, drone strikes in Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan. All right. So, David, um, in terms of what's uh, yet going on around the world and something that you just made a reference to a moment ago, um, the Taliban, remind us, first of all, who that is. Remind us what they've been up to. Remind us why um, we we don't trust them. Um, and then they did not meet with uh with the president of the United States at Camp David, but they did almost immediately thereafter go to Moscow and have a meeting. Um, what What is your sense is going on here in terms of the Taliban? Again, remind us who it is and um, and, and what, what you think they're up to. 
Well, the Taliban was the Islamic radical political force that emerged in Afghanistan uh, a few years after the uh, Soviet forces had retreated from Afghanistan. So they took over a country that was still trying to pick itself up after the Soviet invasion. And they are significant because they were in charge of Afghanistan when the 9-11 attack took place. And they were the people who gave permission to Al-Qaeda to have a base and many other terrorist forces to have a, a base in Afghanistan where they hadn't been able to previously. So, and the other thing is Afghanistan is the world's most complicated national problem. I mean, it, it has caused more than headaches with severe losses of life for the British, for the Soviets, for anybody who's ever tried to take control of it. And it's one of these wars where President Trump is determined not to have the United States bogged down into endless conflicts in the Middle East with no sort of way out. So if the Taliban could be persuaded, uh, which was a legitimate, a legitimate aspiration, to agree not to allow terrorist organizations to settle on their soil, that would be certainly a major step forward for uh, world peace, at least in the American view. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Um, David Aikman and I are going to take a brief break. When we come back, we're going to preview the Israeli election. Some of you are thinking, gosh, didn't Israel just have an election uh, in recent memory? Yes, that was in April. They're now having a snap election, a uh, legislative election tomorrow due to um, due to the failure to form a governing coalition. Uh, so that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. David Aikman from Godspeed Magazine. Um, give us a little bit of a preview of tomorrow's Israeli elections. It's it's a legislative election. I know that I ask you to do this frequently, but for those of us who do not have a parliamentary a parliamentary system of government, this whole thing is almost fantastical to us. And so um, bear bear with us one more time and remind us, um, what it is that a prime minister has to do, um, because you guys don't have a party system that's quite like ours. No. Well, the the Israeli parliamentary system, which is, takes place in the Israeli parliament, the Knesset, has 120 seats. And whatever government uh, emerges in Israel has to get a majority of at least 60 or 61. Well, no party recently has ever got a complete majority. So what happens in Israeli politics is the country with the largest, uh, the party with the largest number of votes, the largest number of seats in the election, for example, last April, it was 35 each for the Likud, which is Netanyahu's party, and 35 for Benny Gantz, who was in the Blue and White Party. They all tried to organize other parties to join them in the coalition. And the negotiating absolutely fell down after April. 
So this is going to be an attempt either by uh, Netanyahu to cobble together um, a coalition from the various conflicting parties with fewer seats, or of his opponent, Benny Gantz, to do the same thing. And it's a very, very complicated process with secular against religious, with nationalist against uh, pro-Arab and so forth. It's, it's a very difficult uh, combination of uh, forces. Well, and I think part of the, you know, I, I think part of what many um, Americans don't understand is when we think of Israel and we think of this concept of a Jewish state, in our minds, um, to be Jewish is is to be religious. It is to be, um, you know, a person who understands Judaism in the same way a Christian would understand Judaism as a faith system. But in Israel, to be Jewish is simply to be what? Like, right? It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily require um, – there's not necessarily a faith component to being Jewish in terms of being Israeli. Am I, am I reading that right? You are uh, to, to some degree. Jewishness in Israel is, is based on your ethnic ancestry. If your mother was Jewish, you are Jewish. Um, then sometimes you can prove your Jewishness by claiming grandmother or um, some other relative very close to you. So Jews, uh, these Jews immigrating, immigrating to Israel from other parts of the world, particularly the United States, simply have to demonstrate that they are, they can confirm their Jewishness on the basis of birth certificate and parentage and so on. Of course, migrants who come to Israel who are, who don't have those things, then have to go through an official religious conversion process uh, authorized by the rabbinate, by the religious authorities, and that requires males to be circumcised and so forth. It's a fairly, fairly strict process to become Jewish in order to become an Israeli citizen. But um, actually, there are other ways you can become an Israeli citizen without being Jewish. But for the majority of people who live in Israel, they are of Jewish heritage, and they get uh, citizenship automatically. Right. I think that, you know, there, David, you know the history of this. And so, you know, when we think about the post-World War II era, um, we think about the I mean, I, I use the, the term creation of the state of Israel. That language might be might be too strong. The word creation of the state of Israel, um, affirmation of the historical existence and then the restitution of of the land um, to its people. This is the ongoing conversation that is taking place not only in in Israel in relationship to um, people who are Palestinian, but this is the conversation taking place in the larger Middle East for those nations who don't think Israel even has a right to exist. Um, you know, I, I would, we talked earlier about Iran, but I mean, that Iran contends that Israel does not have a right to exist. And um, it's, a, it's a complicated neighborhood. It is. But I mean, the, the real issue is Zionism. Jews who believed, starting really strongly in the middle of the 19th century, that they were called by God to go back to Israel 
and that they had a right to establish or re-establish a Jewish political state um, on territory that was actually c controlled at that time by the Arabs. And the Balfour Declaration of 1917 basically made it British policy to allow Jews to migrate back to Israel to form a national homeland. And in 1948, they did that. They declared this, the independent state of Israel and were immediately attacked by surrounding nations, most of whom have actually made peace subsequently with Israel. So it's only a few hands stand out that don't accept it. It's quite fascinating. All right, let's touch on, um, we got a few minutes left, so let's touch on what has happened over the weekend in Hong Kong, um, because, you know, China is always in view if we look the other direction. Right. Well, Hong Kong had yet another, I don't know how many weeks it is now, but it's, it's coming up to four months of protests since the protests that really began, originally began back in June. And the five demands of the protesters are basically that, well, the first demand has been met that the extradition bill that offended so many people has been withdrawn. But now they want universal suffrage. They want an independent investigation of alleged police crimes. And, of course, the government of Carrie Lam, which is under the control of Beijing, China, is absolutely against any kind of reopening. And so I think these demonstrations are going to go on until there's a crackdown so severe that people just don't want to do it anymore. But I don't see that happening right away. Um, China is celebrating its 70th anniversary of becoming a People's Republic run by the Communist Party. That will be on October 1st. Uh, I thought they would try to clean everything up before then, but I think these are going to continue after the 70th anniversary celebration. All right, this just in, David, I know this is a story you and I will continue to follow, and we will talk about it the next time we're together, but Yemen's Houthi rebels are now threatening new attacks on Saudi oil infrastructures, um, and that's just uh, just fresh out from the Washington Post via, via Twitter just now. So uh, certainly a story that we're going to watch and be praying for people who are in the path of other people's intended destruction of one another. David Aikman, thank you as always for helping us uh, focus on what's happening around the world um, through a you know through a Christian worldview, but also one that is an astute student of history. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Carmen. Have a great week. You too. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, so uh, we have been um, feasting this morning on uh, not only the headline news, but the Word of God and bringing the Word of God to apply to the headline news of the day. Uh, and so I just, I'm feeling very grateful this morning for the Word of God. I have, I have this deep gratitude that God has spoken, and not only that God spoke at creation, but that God continued to speak even when... Um, you know, I mean, just imagine if God had walked away from the conversation when, um, you know, when we when we fell into sin, when we chose not to believe in his goodness and um, and his word. And so just be thankful today for the word of God. Uh, be in the word before you are out there in the world. Uh, you and I really have got nothing 
uh, to share with others beyond the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, and that we receive through the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. So get into the Word today before you get out there into the world. Just checking in with my brother Paul here. Do I um, do do I have a couple of minutes left? I got like a minute forty left. Uh, yeah, about that. Yep. I don't I don't have to stop and do anything else. Okay, yep. then I'm okay. Sorry so then here's. Thank you so much. So here's what I um, I want to lift up here at the end of this first hour together. The the word of God, you and I know um, it is it is effective and it never goes forth without accomplishing that for which God sends it. So our opportunity as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven today in the midst of the kingdoms of this world is to be people who sow the word of God into our conversations, who sow the word of God into into the world around us. And I'm going to use a harvesting metaphor here um, or illustration, and that is to say, if you and I are not actively sowing the word of God into the soil of the culture around us, then the chance of it ever producing righteous fruit is zero, zero. And so if you don't like the harvest that's out there in the world today and you want to see a harvest of righteousness that is worthy of the Lord our God that's honoring and glorifying to him, where his name is lifted up and people know who he is in Jesus Christ, then you and I have to actively be sowing that word into the into the world today. So let me encourage you to do that. Be a person who's not only a purveyor of peace and actively, as we started out this hour, actively anti-bullying, actively anti-racist, but actively an ambassador of the principles of the kingdom of heaven right here in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. All right, those are your little marching orders right now. We'll be right back for another hour together on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.